The doc is in, and there's no need to stay in the waiting room for this episode of Health 411. Join Dr. Jonathan Karp as we discuss topics from health insurance to personal diet and exercise to up-to-date conversations in the healthcare industry and more. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Ripovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Once to add new skills to your resume, take a continuing studies course at Rider University. Now, let's see what the diagnosis is for this week's episode of Health 411. 107.7 The Bronx, 107.7 TheBronc.com, proudly nominated for a National Association of Broadcasters 2019 Marconi Award for Best College Radio Station. We are recording from the remote Bronx studios at Ryder University. I'm Professor Jonathan Karp. This Health 411 program is presented by the Rebovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and the Ryder University Health Studies Institute. In Health 411, we discuss a variety of issues affecting health and wellness, public health, healthcare policy, and the politics of health and healthcare. Our goal is to expand your knowledge and perspective. Today, Isaac Harris and I, Isaac is our, our student producer, we're gonna have a conversation about a recent um, review article um, that was brought to our attention um, in the Journal, of International, uh, the Journal of the International Society of Sports Nutrition. And what spurred um, interest in one of our dedicated listeners um, was the title, in the title of this article is Sex Differences and Considerations for Female-Specific Nutritional Strategies, a narrative review. And what this uh, article is sort of proposing is, is not new. It's something that's been um, discussed and at least conceptualized before, but it's sort of putting forward the idea that um, women of reproductive age or when they're having um, their normal menstrual cycles that they may have different caloric and nutrient needs due to fluctuations in the hormones that are associated with the menstrual cycle. And those fluctuations in hormones might increase or decrease or change energy demands um, that women athletes who are cycling may have. And the, what this article is proposing is there may be ways to optimize one's diet to promote optimal performance. Um, uh, and that diet would vary as a function of menstrual cycle stage. So did I introduce the article appropriately, Isaac? Yeah, you did. Um, it's a very, you did introduce the article, right? It's a very specific article that I think a lot of people, including myself, uh, did not know the details of, of, this, of this topic. So this is definitely something I'm ready to dive into. Okay, so why don't we, as, as, as a place to start, um, we could just dive right into the article, but let's take a step back and talk about um, the physiology of, sort of well, since the article is sort of promote, wants us to focus on uh, basically estrogen and progesterone, some of the main uh, hormones uh, that are involved during the, the, the menstrual cycle. Let's talk about a little bit about the physio the normal physiology um, of the, the menstrual cycle in, um, 
in uh, women of reproductive age because women before they hit reproductive age obviously don't have the cycle. And I think the, the evidence is pretty good that before puberty, um, the males and females have um, probably similar metabolism. Their metabolisms are not different, but a lot of that changes because at puberty, um, things happen in both males and females that are gonna change their brain, it's gonna change their, their muscle mass, it's gonna change a whole bunch of things. Um, and we can talk about that. And, you know, puberty is a brain event. And one of the things that the brain does is communicate with the other organs that are in the body. Um, in terms of the normal menstrual cycle, those organs um, involve the pituitary gland and the, um, the ovaries and things that are inside the ovaries. And so what happens, um, we, we, during the, there's basically the way, an easy way to conceptualize it is there's two uh, sort of large phases during the menstrual cycle. There's one phase while the, the follicle, the egg is developing, and there's another phase that happens after ovulation when the egg has been released from an ovary and is making its journey down the fallopian tube on its way to your uterus. So the part of egg development is called the follicle. Um, part when the egg has been released after ovulation is called the luteal phase. And what happens during these times is um, in the follicular phase, um, hormone levels are generally low. Um, and that includes estrogen, progesterone, and, and the pituitary hormones, luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone. They're all pretty low. And then what starts to happen in the late luteal phase um, and so the normal stereotypical menstrual cycle in uh, humans is about 28 days. So somewhere around 14 days or so is when ovulation is going to occur. For ovulation to occur, what happens is um, uh, um, FS uh, uh, hormone levels start to change. And the, the first hormones that start to change are LH and FSH, which are involved in sort of being, you know, egg maturation, particularly follicle-stimulating hormone. Um, and near that time, you get these surges in LH, surges in um, um, FSH. These are the things that are detected in those ovulation predictor kits that you can buy in a drugstore. And after these hormones, happen, an egg is released, a mature egg, one egg is sort of selected each cycle from one of the ovaries, and it's released and it leaves an ovary and it enters the fimbria of the, um, of the, 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 the uterine horn or, um, and, and it, starts its tra it, started, it starts its travel down, down the uterus. So while this is happening, progesterone, progesterone now starts to be produced by, um, the, the, the corpus luteum, which is what's left after the egg is released. And there's estrogen that starts to be produced by the corpus luteum. And these hormones classically are thought to provide nutrients for the, the, the egg as it's making its journey down the fallopian tube. These hormones, estrogen and progesterone, don't just work locally in, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in an ovary or uterus or um, um, uterine horn, what these hormones do is they circulate all over the body. And that's sort of the, one of the points of, 
of what, what this article is proposing um, for athletes and, and just for people who want to lose weight as well. What they're saying is, is during the follicular phase, be, be when estrogen and progesterone levels are um, pretty, pretty low, um, there are different metabolic demands on the body. And and then near the middle or the end, the late luteal phase, when there's an estrogen surge, and then there's this estrogen surge that happens and the egg is released, which is followed a few days later by ovulation. And then you have high levels of estrogen and progesterone again from the corpus luteum, there, that there are, again, changes in metabolism across the body. And a lot of that has to do with muscle metabolism. And that they're, what they're proposing is the dietary needs for maximum uh, endurance and maximum strength of muscles of athletes may be affected by what women are eating um, during different phases of this cycle. So Isaac, I have to, I have to ask you, so how, so in my description of the typical human menstrual cycle did, did I describe it in a way that made sense to you and if not please um tell me <laughs> no you did no you did it was very specific I mean uh for me you did at least and I believe and I believe that that also goes into what we're going into so I believe you did and I think um it's interesting that you mentioned that you know it comes down to what we're eating so basically are you saying that we could depend depending on what women eat and how and how many calories they burn off it, it could either hinder their hormone growth or increase their hormone growth with that that's the only that's the only question i got from understanding oh so 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 uh, let, me, let me if i understand your question is like are you i'm, I'm not proposing that well, they're not proposing in the article that what yeah. people eat is going to affect the reproductive cycle right that's not exactly. that's not what this is about that's what yeah, I'm no, like, no, no, no. This is like, like, like it kind of threw me off a little bit, but I'm like, I'm getting like, okay, all right. <laughs> but I understand, but no, yeah. no. The the and, and that's why I mentioned the brain here, because this this reproductive cycle, even though it happens in the odor, ovary and the uterus, um, it's actually being controlled and initiated by what's happening in the brain. Okay. So there are there's a, there's a part of the brain called the hypothalamus that communicates with the pituitary gland. The, it's hypothalamic control in the brain that causes FSH and LH to be released um, into the circulation where you will have, uh, during the follicular phase, um, um, egg maturation and egg growth and um, eventually ovulation. So even though those events happen in the uterus, they're being controlled by, in the brain. And what happens is the, the, what it's, the, the, it's sort of considered is that the brain is, has high, very negative feedback. And that's a system okay. where a little bit of a stimulus will shut stuff down, but there's also positive feedback where a little bit of a stimulus will something, something more happen. The okay. female brain has both of these things. So during high levels of negative feedback, the little bits of, let's say, estrogen and progesterone that are in the body keep this axis, the hypothalamal pituitary gonadal axis from being activated. And when there are switches, the negative feedback can be lessened and then a little bit can, can cause more or you have positive feedback. And that's why there's low levels of estrogen can actually cause an estrogen surge um, near the time of ovulation. And those are what's sort of known um, just in, as a general overview of the human menstrual cycle. Right. Um, 
we, we will continue the conversation. Um, mm -hmm. I'm looking at the clock and we need to take a break for some underwriting announcements. We'll be right back. I'm with Health 411 on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. This is Health 411, truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Repovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Continue your studies with Rider University's online and part-time options at rider.edu slash next step. We're back with Dr. Jonathan Karp, only on 107.7 The Bronx. Hey, 107.7 The Bronx, 107.7 The Bronx.com. We're recording again from the remote Bronx studios and welcome back to Health 411. Isaac Harris and I are having a conversation based on an article um, that was recently published that was suggesting that female athletes who are having normal menstrual cycles uh, may have unique nutritional demands depending on the phase of their menstrual cycle to have optimal strength and optimal performance um, when they're working out or exercising. And in the last segment, I did a very, very quick, very, very short um, overview of so the, the main hormones that are going to be part of our conversation, which are primarily estrogen and the other one's progesterone, that are some of the major components of the follicular phase and luteal phase of the human menstrual cycle. Um, and before we move on, Isaac, I just want to mention one thing. These are not new things that are being discovered. In fact, understanding where we to con continue on from the end of the last segment, understanding how the brain controls the the, the LH, FSH, estrogen, progesterone, as I was describing, is sort of the basis for understanding how oral contraceptives work, birth control pills that mm -hmm. usually contain estrogen and progesterone. And these are hormones that feed back. They actually work in the brain. They don't work in one's reproductive organs. They work in the brain to take advantage of these mechanisms of negative feedback. So if you take synthetic estrogen and synthetic progesterone, these hormones act in your brain to shut down the hypothalamal pituitary adrenal axis such that FSH and LH are not released. If FSH and LH are not released, a follicle is not going to mature and a follicle is not gonna be released at ovulation. And that's sort of the, in, a, in, a, in a simple sense, how you know, birth control, you know, contra oral contraceptives work that have estrogen and progesterone in them. And um, so what these authors are proposing, um, it, will, it, it will work for people who are not on oral contraceptives because oral, con oral contraceptives are providing estrogen and progesterone to synthetic for you. What they're proposing in the article is that women who are having you know, normal menstrual cycles when everything else is working, right? What they're proposing is during the times when um, at least for the, in the early part and the middle part up until the late part of the follicular phase, that's when an egg would be maturing and developing those first part, those, you know, 14 days or so that you, the, what happens is, is that the body and the, the muscles in the body have, you know, relatively higher carbohydrate metabolism, uh, higher efficiency of glycogen um, conversion uh, to glucose, and decreased fat metabolism, metabolism, decreased protein metabolism, and decreased glycogen storage. Um, and what they're proposing is there's one's diet during those um, 
during the follicular phase can take advantage of those metabolic things that happen. In comparison, that during the luteal phase, there, some of these things switch, like you know, uh, free fatty acid or fat metabolism increases, protein metabolism increases, you have decrease in carb carbohydrate um, oxidation, you increase resting energy expenditure, increased glycogen storage. And those are the kinds of things we're gonna talk about during the show. But to put it out there, what they're suggesting in this article is that not that what's known that should people do, even though they have some proposals, is that given what we know about physiology, given what we know now about how muscles work, um, that there's different kinds of muscles, and you know, we know about glycogen, glucose, all these things that we're gonna talk about is there may be menstrual stage specific um, nutritional needs to optimize performance. Right. Okay, going yeah, forward? Yeah, 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 yeah no, no, I, I get that now, yes, yeah. Yeah. Oh, did that did, 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 was that not, I, when I shared the the article with you was that not did that not come through when you read it? Well, when I read it, it came through, but I was just like, my nutritional needs for optimal performance, like like like, I guess like you like eat more fruit, like. <laughs> right, maybe I don't know. That's what that's what registered to me. Like, all right, all right, okay, so. Is it saying that women need to eat more fruit or like, or there needs to be like a, a healthy balance for to let, to get that optimal performance. So that would be the only things that kind of, kind of popped in my head when I was reading it, but. So let's, let's, let's take a step back and address what you were sort of saying is, yeah. um, um, is that what they're suggesting is that these differences during the normal menstrual cycle, and, and uh, humans have a menstrual cycle. Humans don't have an estrous cycle. Like right. you know, some animals have estrous cycles and there's, there's some physiological and behavioral differences between a menstrual cycle and an estrous cycle. But humans have a menstrual cycle. The, the, what they're suggesting in here, and one of the shortcomings of this article is it's, it's primarily for, um, uh, and the most of the data that's out there is based on highly trained athletes. You know, some of the references are based on Olympic athletes, uh, college athletes. These are women who are very much in shape, um, you know, who are very, very active. Um, but, you know, they, they also address the, the concerns that, you know, a lot of women athletes um, are known to you know, historically underconsume calories, try to cut weight. Um, you know, and, and, you know, there's men and women are different. Men who are athletes are constantly trying to bulk up, gain weight, you know, right. get stronger. You, you, you see that, you know, if you look at, you know, even, you know, my sons who, when you took pictures of them and they're very athletic in high school, you look at them, you know, halfway through college or all the way through college, I mean, they've bulked up, they've gotten stronger. They've, you know, they've worked on sports specific, to, you know, their, their goal is to try to get big and strong. Women um, are often not trying to get big and strong, even when they are athletes, because there is um, this thing that we've had shows on and this thing, this whole idea of disordered eating. Yes, these women are athletes. They're burning, you know, more calories than, you know, the, the, the stereotypical diet of 2000 cal kilocalories a day. Um, but so, you know, they have this disordered eating because they're trying to lose weight and stay thin. At the same time, they're very metabolically active and would benefit by getting strong. And that's one reason a lot of universities now, more and more of them, are having, you know, full-time nutritionists, full-time dietitians, 
on their athletic staff, you know, so it's available to, you know, both men and, and, and female athletes to get away from disordered eating and to get these athletes to eat healthier. But th that's for health concerns because, you know, you, you know, not that it's a negative health thing, but if a woman loses too much weight, menstrual cycles can stop, you know, and they can, you yeah. know, you can be, you can have like exercise induced amenorrhea, which is one thing. And, and so there's been a push to try to keep athletes healthier. Um, and so to get away from disordered eating uh, and have, you know, nutritionists, dietitians, um, you know, psychologists on staff to try to overcome that. The, the other part of that is not just what you look like. The other part of that is how do you generate a diet that will optimize your athletic performance? And I think people pretty much know if you live on a diet of uh, you know not you know <laughs> um, nachos and mm -hmm. yeah. pizza and, you know you know soda you're you know you, you know, one way or another you might get like you know fats carbohydrates and proteins in there but you're not going to get them in the right mix that allow your body to have op optimal performance optimal he uh, healing between performances so you don't have muscle soreness um, so you don't you would reduce the possibility of becoming fatigued during an athletic event or during a workout. And these are the kinds of things that, you know, athletes desire for, because, you know, if you become fatigued during an athletic event, now your opponent has a large advantage over you, whether it's a burst of speed, whether it's, you know, concentration. And, you know, at, at, if you're a highly competitive athlete, small differences like that, um, can be the difference between winning and losing um, kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. And you know, one of the worst, you know, um, you know, what some you know very famous athletes, you know, often say they want to be the best conditioned per person on the field at any time. They don't want to be the athlete who gets tired, right? And that's that gives them a competitive advantage. And that's one reason athletes work out so hard and you know sometimes hire their own nutritionists and do all these sort of things. Um, between events so that these things don't happen that gives them a higher chance of success. And what they're proposing in this article, and for some of the things that we, we are going to talk about, um, they're proposing, you know, a menstrual cycle specific um, diets um, that will, you know, well, like I said, a lot of this is hypothetical. That idea will improve performance by reducing fatigue, reducing muscle soreness between events, and do things that will improve both endurance and strength. And that's the possibility because that's what athletes are really, really after in terms of muscle physiology is where they're coming at this. Um, and when they're talking about sports nutrition, and that's why understanding carbohydrate fats and protein metabolism um, become important for you know muscle physiology and preventing muscle fatigue and those are some of the things that we will talk about in health 411 um, in a couple minutes uh, after we take a break for some underwriting announcements you are listening to health 411 on 1077 the Bronx and 1077 the Bronx.com
This is Health 411, truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Rebovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Continue your studies with Rider University's online and part-time options at rider.edu slash next step. We're back with Dr. Jonathan Karp, only on 107.7 The Bronx. One zero seven seven the Bronx, one zero seven seven the Bronx dot com. Recording from the remote Bronx studios. You're listening to Health Four One One, and I'm Professor Jonathan Carter. I am here with Isaac Harris, our student producer, and we are having a conversation about the possibility that there may be menstrual cycle specific nutritional strategies, and um, I've sort of I think I've sort of set this up. In a way, Isaac, that sort of makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Good, good. You're nodding. Okay. So, 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 what they're suggesting here, for just review purposes, um, they talk about the differences between the follicular phase when an oocyte is developing before ovulation, and then after ovulation, this thing called the luteal phase that happens during the human menstrual cycle. And what they point out in this article is that. In metabolism of fats, carbohydrates, protein, and, and glucose is different in those two phases. And to review, what they're saying is the second half of the cycle, the luteal phase, there is increased fat metabolism, increased protein metabolism, but decreased carbohydrate metabolism, um, decreased glycogen efficiency, uh, where you have increased glycogen storage and increased resting um, energy expenditure. What do those things sort of mean? Um, do those words mean anything to you? Yeah, they do. They do. Yeah. Mean okay, so, so good, because those things switch during the follicular phase. So let's talk a little bit about basic food metabolism for somebody who might not be able to connect to all those things together. The basic basic in the foods that we eat, what we need to eat are carbohydrates like, like glucose, um, fat, we need to eat some fat, and we need to eat some protein and amino acids. The ratio of these things can vary, and they actually have some suggestions in the paper, but we need to eat that stuff. Okay, when you eat glucose, the glucose is either used immediately for energy or it's stored um, as glycogen and or stored as triglycerides, um, a kind of fat thing. Glycogen is sort of um, animal starch where it's stored in your liver and some of it can be stored in, um, muscles, in muscle, muscles as well. When you eat fat, most of that fat is stored or it can also be used um, for uh, if it's circulating for aerobic oxidation, um, or um, so it can be used as sort of more important for endurance um, energy needs. And then you eat proteins and amino acids. These are used for protein synthesis right away in, by you know, muscle cells and other cells of the body. They're used for energy, but if they excess amounts of them, they can be stored. What they're suggesting is is the metabolism rates at which these things um, are used vary across the cycle, the menstrual cycle. That has to be overlain what's known about how muscles work in terms of muscles using energy, because all the muscles in our body are not the same. 
we have at least three, we have cardiac muscle, we have smooth muscle. Those are not the muscles that they're talking about, that they're focusing on when they're gonna propose specific nutrient needs for different bases. They're basically talking about skeletal muscle. These are the muscles that allow us to move our bones around. They contract and things like that. There are a couple different kinds of skeletal muscles. Um, these kinds of skeletal muscles use energy differently. Um, for example, uh, if you look at just the, you know, the glycolytic capacity, the ability to, you know, uh, break down these things, the, the type one fibers um, are going to be differentiated between like type two fibers. We used to call those things like fast switch, fast twitch and slow twitch muscles. You ever heard mm -hmm. that before? Uh, not um, once maybe, but not, not too common. With me. Yeah. yeah. Well, what, what, what happens is, is that the, the type one fibers versus type 2A and 2B fibers are sort of the, the new way, the new words for looking at these different muscle types. If you've ever had like a deep tissue injury, Isaac, I remember when I was in high school, um, I played soccer and um, I got kicked across my, my, my quad and it was a pretty deep gouge. I remember looking down and I can see the muscle fibers, right? And I happened to, you know, I had more like white muscle-ish kind of fibers in there compared to, you know, deep red, like, you know, you know, like steak meaty kind of fibers. So those would have been more of the fast twitch um, kinds of, all what we would have called them, you know, fast twitch muscle fiber. Um, okay. But, you know, there are also these slower twitch muscle fibers, which are better for endurance um, kind of things like that. But the fast twitch muscle fibers use ATP, they can use uh, creatine phosphate. They use these sort of things um, and, 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 and glucose to get their energy to sort of keep twitching right and make contractions however the slower twitch muscle fibers um uh use more of like aerobic um oxidation these are the kinds of things that over time um they, they so they're they're, they're 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 you know they use glycogen they use plasma glucose they use liver like glycogen um they can use free fatty acids they can use the, the fat adipose tissue that's being stored as triglycerides these are the kinds of things that, that you would need for long-term endurance so you have these fast twitch kinds of um muscles these are like the type 2 you know type 2a and 2b where the type 2a's are moderately fast twitchers and the type 2b's are the really fast twitchers then you have these type one, which are the slower twitch ones, which use you know these energy these energy uh, resources that you know they 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 start up a little bit slower, but if you're going to keep the muscles going for you know one two three four hours, these are the muscles that take over. Where you have that fast burst of energy, the quick twitch ones, you're basically using anaerobic glycolysis and you know muscle glycogen that's already there atp that's sort of already there so right. what they're proposing for the muscles right what's known about muscle physiology has to be overlain with what they're what they're proposing in terms of um eating um in kinds of it, eating during in a in a menstrual phase a menstrual phase specific sort of way okay. um is that making sense? I feel like I'm monologuing. I was just about to ask you about that because like, I remember, I remember doing my athletic 
career, my my brief college fast my brief college athletic career. It's like in season you want to eat eat certain things like in competition, and then off season it's like you want to bulk up and you want to eat certain different things. So I'm trying to think. I'm now trying to piece together like all right. So most athletes have to eat something different um, off season and in season and stuff to bulk up or lose weight or cut down. Now it's adding the factor of like, all right, how do you keep that competitive edge with the menstrual cycle? So this is interesting. I'm trying to piece, I'm, I'm piecing everything together slowly but surely. But okay, it's, good. It's well, the good thing is, is for your body, you don't have to worry about the menstrual cycle. Right. Um, <laughs> right. And, and, and what you just did, what you're saying is you confirmed what I was saying before and what the data right. show is you know, a lot of male athletes try to bulk up and get stronger. Women athletes also want to get also want to get stronger, um, um, but the, you know, and, 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 you know, increase endurance, but they may not want to, you know, they may not, may not be trying to gain weight um, kinds of things because, you know, they're part of society and, and all that sort of stuff too. Right. And, uh, and so th that creates two different kinds of, you know, needs for one's muscles. Uh, and, what the article is very good at pointing out is that the literature suggests that the, the menstrual cycle does not directly influence the strength or power um, or power exercise performance. Um, and so it's not that performance necessarily for what the muscles are doing for strength or um, kind for strength kinds of exercises um, vary as a function of the menstrual cycle. The, oh, what's the other side? The other side tends to be more endurance kinds of related things. And so they're suggesting that, um, you know, taken together, you know, the menstrual cycle likely impacts endurance performance, but not necessarily resistance or strength performance. So the ideas that they're promoting, um, the specific diets that we're going to get into are basically based on the idea that you can do things during the menstrual cycle to uh, in, improve sort of endurance. And one of the tricky things that they're talking about is kind of the kinds of things that are actually done are not, if you're preparing for, you know, a big event, it's you're not necessarily eating you know, for what's happening in your body in real time. Sometimes you want to eat to prepare your body. You know, you might start eating a certain diet weeks ahead of time to prepare right. your, your body for something that's coming down. And so that's a tricky thing that athletes do that sort of has to also be put on top of these menstrual cycles, specific diet things, because the cycle is going to change over a 20 day 28 day period. So you're not just eating for that day. Sometimes you eat, you know, over a long period before that to get ready for athletic events. And enough of me monologuing, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and we'll talk about some of the specific suggestions or ideas that are put forth um, in this paper um, in the world of sports nutrition that recently came back. We'll be right back with Health 411 after these brief underwriting announcements. You're listening to 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. This is Health 411, truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Repovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Continue your studies with Rider University's online and part-time options at rider.edu slash next step. 
We're back with Dr. Jonathan Karp, only on 107.7 The Bronx. One zero seven seven the Bronx, one zero seven seven the Bronx.com. This is Health Four One One reporting from the remote Bronx studios. I'm Professor Jonathan Carp and Isaac Harris and I are having a conversation uh, about the possibility that there may be menstrual cycle stage specific things to think about in one's diet to improve or to have have either improve athletic performance or maintain optimal. Um, athletic performance. The correlate is the idea is if you don't do these things, you may not be um, having the um, the optimal athletic performance measured here in terms of muscle strength and muscle endurance that you might be able to have. You with me, Isaac? Yeah, I am. I am, and it kind of brought me to a couple of questions because now we're thinking. Now we're in that phase where we're going into it. it it's starting to make me think. Okay. I know a lot of athletes like to drink protein shakes or like, you know, certain types of shakes to try to limit their calories. So is one of the things, key things to try to like, I guess for women, for female athletes, if they're, if they're on a calorie restrictions, like let's say if they're runners, heavy runners, or they're even like heavy throwers, like let's say, for example, like for a certain Olympic sport, if they have to sacrifice uh, their calorie, their, their natural diet that they feel like that works best for them competitively, we make sure their menstrual health is, is um, you know, they do not jeopardize their menstrual health. Their menstrual health. That's one of the things I wanted to hopefully look into in this segment for this one. Well, well, the whole idea is is no. not to compromise the the, right. the health of the, the normal menstrual cycle. Try to keep women athletes from experiencing the point right. uh, where they lose so much body weight that their hypothalamus sort of shuts down and you know stops communicating with the pituitary and stops communicating with the gonads so ovulation uh, doesn't happen that's sort of a natural form of birth control um you know the 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 idea here is you know the that women should women athletes should maintain eating carbohydrates fats and proteins um but maybe they want to adjust their carbohydrates, fats, and proteins as a function of um, you know uh, of what's you know of what's known about the different metabolic demands um, during the menstrual cycle. For example, they, you know, they make a big deal that you know in, in women who are menstruating, not menstruating, but having normal menstrual cycles, the capacity to store muscle glycogen fluctuates over the menstrual cycle, and it has the highest capacity during the follicular phase. Um, you know, and because of that, you know, you, you might suggest that, you know, if you want prolonged endurance exercise, you might, you know, which is over 90 minutes, that's when the, 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 the slower twitch muscles start to take over, um, you, might you might consider carbohydrate loading you know, by, you know, increasing carbohydrate consumption in the days, um, you know, leading up to, um, uh, you know, an, an, an athletic event. So the idea is to not compromise one's health. It's the idea is to maintain caloric intake so people have brain health and reproductive organ health and all that sort of stuff. So it's, the article is very clear. You have to maintain caloric intake intake but the idea is once that happens can you tweak what people are eating to have optimal performance does that sort of make sense 
Yeah, it does make sense. It makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And and so you know, one can argue what is the appropriate um, ratio of carbohydrates, the fats, the proteins that one should be eating. And that, and that's, you know, it, it, it's not just athletes. You can say, you know, uh, any of the, you know, dozens of diets that are out there. Um, the reason these diets out there and the reason these diets often work is because they're restricting calories and you can restrict calories by reducing fats, which are like, you know, um, nine calories per gram, you restrict proteins and, you know, uh, or carbs, which I think have like four or five calories per gram. And so, yeah, if you burn more calories than you put in, you're going to lose weight. But, you know, that's not necessarily healthy if you are an athlete. Right. So what, what they're suggesting here, and they have a couple examples that go through the literature, and they're very clear saying, you know, the literature doesn't have like clear answers of what people should do. You know, you need to eat fats. You can't have like a fat-free diet because you need to eat, you know, um, cholesterol because, you know, the hormones that we're talking about are derivatives of cholesterol, estrogen, progesterone, even testosterone, all those are, you know, cholesterol derivatives. And so if you, they're so important for the body that if you stop all fats, your body is going to, you know, make some of these things from, you know, acetate reserves, it'll find alternative metabolic pathways, but those are not healthy things to do. You need to eat proteins, especially if you're competing for healing, for strength, for, you know, um, for, for optimal performance, like we're saying, you know, um, you know, and you have to have some, you know, lipid stores, you have to have fat reserves, you have to have protein, um, you need carbohydrates, you can't stop eating carbohydrates and be healthy. So, and you can argue over what the appropriate ratio of these things are. What they're suggesting here, and they have, they have two examples in the paper that I, I want to make sure we go through uh, without going, I mean, there's a lot of, there's, well, there's a lot of details in the paper we could talk about, but they have a, like a proposed meal, meal plan for a, a female soccer player. This is a college athlete, 20 years old, 5'5", five, five, uh, it looks to be about 120 pounds. Um, they're suggesting that the goal intake is between you know, 2,400 and 2,500 kilocalories per day. They're suggesting that for that competitive athlete, that about 20% of that person's calories come from protein, about 20% of that person's calories come from fat, and about 60% of that person's calories uh, come from carbohydrates. And then they, they have suggested meal plans, they have some suggested supplements. And again, these are all like, you know, you could argue, like when we've had you know, dietitians on this program, do you really need to take supplements? Because if you're eating a healthy diet, you really need to, to eat supplements that are made in the laboratory or extracted from things. Um, right. There's a lot of controversy with that, that with all with all that sort of stuff too. Mm -hmm. um, making sense? Yeah, it does make sense, and that's what I wanted to ask because, like, if they're recommending supplements, those supplements either do the supplements help, like I guess increase do the supplements, I guess intentionally help increase that. Um, or keep that consistency while well, eating. Well, it depends. I mean, it, it, 
it depends what the supplements are. Their supplements, right. they, they include like, you know, whey protein, creatine, caffeine, beta alanine, vitamin D3, fish oil. You know, I mean, yeah, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really want to comment on that. I have my own, maybe it's coming through, right. but I have some bias on it. Um, but I want to, but I want to put that forward is that, you know, there's a healthy meal there. They also talk about in the paper, um, you know, a, like a diet for even somebody who's not a, a, a competitive athlete. And they're suggesting that that diet could more easily follow the follicular phase and the luteal phase guidelines that they're, that they're saying. Um, and what they're talking about, their example is, you know, where we're going here, you know, a 38 year old female whose primary goal is weight loss, you know, um, you know, a, sort of, a, you know, about the same size body mass index near 30 wants to get it down a little bit. What do you do to have a healthy meal that compote that takes advantage of the different metabolism during the follicular and luteal phases. And what they're saying here is the idea is um, during the follicular phase, they're suggesting a diet that is about 40% carbohydrates, 30% um, uh, protein, and about 30% fat. And then they're suggesting during the luteal phase that that diet gets switched to 36% carbohydrates, 32% protein, and 32% fat. Okay. And what they're suggesting is, is if you keep, um, you know, because uh, remember, people's energy balance is going to be a little bit less during the follicular phase. It's going to be a little bit higher during the luteal phase. If you, if you just re reduce that by about 10%, using those proportions that they mentioned in the paper, you should be able to lose weight. Okay. Right? So it's taking advantage of where you are in your menstrual cycle, the change in metabolic activity in your muscles to, you know, keep a slow, a little bit of a calorie deficit. So you will gradually lose weight with time uh, and, and maintain what you're calling menstrual cycle health. That's what they're proposing. They're saying it's harder to do in a competitive athlete, um, but they're suggesting what the breakdown there is what should be done um, and the same sort of supplements they propose um, for somebody who wants to lose weight. That makes right. sense? Yeah, no, it makes sense. And it's kind of refreshing to see that. And it's like, okay, they break it down. And I mean, I'm, I'm also curious real quick. I know we're running close on top. I'm curious, what happens if an a competitive athlete decides like to switch up their ratios? Would that affect the health as well, potentially? Good question. I think that, I mean, it's not talked about in this paper, uh, but it, it's the, this is the, the this paper is coming from the idea that there are deficits and you want to overcome deficits and take it, you know, make sure that caloric health and nutritional health is happening. What's glaringly missing from the paper is a discussion of water, which is the other thing right. that you need, yeah. you need to adjust. Um, and so they, they don't even address that. Um, but, you know, the idea that females may benefit from, you know, sex-specific nutritional recommendations uh, when engaging in regular exercise um, based on the cycle is something that is probably worth doing more some research on. Um, you know, maybe in Olympic training centers, they're already doing this sort of stuff. 
Uh, but this is the stuff that they're proposing out there and the, they, they, they're providing evidence that it should be a thing that should be done. Um, Very good. Unfortunately, Isaac, we are running out of time. Um, this is 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com. We are recording from the remote Bronx studios and thank you for listening to Health 411. This program is part of Riders efforts to bring people together to address all sorts of issues associated with health and healthcare. I hope today's conversation between me and Isaac uh, helps help inform you about the possibility of sex-specific differences. Um, in athletes, especially women who are having normal menstrual cycles. If you have questions and or comments about this program, please email us at health411 at rider.edu. That was this week's episode of Health 411 with Dr. Jonathan Karp. Tune in every Sunday at 10 a.m. to learn truthful information about your health and the healthcare industry. Missed an episode? No worries. You can subscribe to a free weekly episode of Health 411 to listen to on your favorite podcasting platform. Platform. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Repovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Want to add new skills to your resume? Take a continuing studies course at Rider University. We'll see you soon, only on 1077 The Bronx.